Rock and roll, bro. You know, I took piano lessons for six weeks. Baseball season started. It was all over. I learned to play hot cross buns. That's it. That's it. That's good stuff. Amen? Amen? Thank you. I also want to thank the orchestra. I didn't see them, but I thanked them. Good stuff. <laughs> I, um, this is my last night. Oh, nobody's cheering. <laughs> I expected different. Uh, I mean, I'll, I'm going to stay till Sunday, but the way it worked, I started out, you know, and I preached twice before Joe got up, and so he's got the last two. So I'll, I'll be preaching in the morning, but this is my last night, and I just needed to say, because a lot of you won't be here in the morning, and I understand that. You've got other services and things to do, and the kids won't be here, and so I just want to thank the, uh, the board for Matt and Blaine and who, all the board members for allowing me to be here. What an honor. What a pleasure it's been, and I, I just um, thank you so much. Um, I tell you, you know, working with, with these three guys um, has been fun, been really fun. Uh, sometimes it's not fun. <laughs> Some places you go, it's just not fun, but this is fun, and, and I appreciate it so much. Um, I've got enough sermon material from, um, from John and all the books that I've stole, uh, gotten, um, I'll be able to preach for a long time. Good stuff, too. Good stuff. Now, I need to say something about Joe. Um, you know, Joe's kind of had it in for me a couple of times. Have you noticed that? You know, he accused me last night of wearing sandals, and I looked up and he had sandals on. And I haven't worn them when I'm preaching, but... Um, you know, another thing about Joe, he, uh, last night, and I picked up on this, you probably didn't, but twice he said, now this is true. This is a true story, which means to me that the other stories he tells are not true. <laughs> and so I began to wonder about him. I, um, I know that's, I thought about that already. Joe gets two sermons after I'm through. Um, but it's, it's really been fun, guys. Thanks. You know, in front of these folks, I need to thank you. And, and you know, I can, ask, I can thank a lot of people, but, but Drew and the crew in the back. Um, and, and Drew, I, I'm sorry I forgot to give you the sermon title for tonight. We'll just play it like it's up there. But, uh, you know, those guys, they get no credit, and when something goes wrong, they get all the blame. Nobody looks back there until they do something wrong, uh, and I know that, and uh, so I don't ever look back. So, but anyway, thank you so much. I, um, one other thing before I get going tonight, it's going to be a short sermon. You okay with that? I mean, you've been here forever already, okay? My wife says I always say that, but it is. I mean, it really will be tonight, I promise you. Um, I have a, a prayer partner list back there that the Junemans are the only ones that have signed up. And uh, I need more prayer partners. And, and let me tell you what I mean by prayer partners. The only time, and it's by email. I'm sorry if you don't have email. I just can't afford a regular newsletter. Uh, but if, you, if you'll pray for me um, uh, in our ministry, we, uh, the only time I email you is before I go preach. I'll tell you where I'm going, what I think I might encounter. And when I come back, about a week later, I'll tell you what happened and give you some stories and share with you. That's the only time I, except in December, there's one other e email that goes out. But other than that, you don't hear from me. Uh, but just when I would like you to pray for, for preaching and where I'm going, that kind of thing. Uh, and and it's, it's, you know, email makes it fast. You know, the old snail mail, when I used to send out a newsletter, I would say before I was getting ready to go, please pray for me. I'm not feeling well. I'd be dead before you get it. And this way you get it. I mean, right away. So if you could sign up for that, that would be great for me. I think that's all the thing I need to say. Oh, I, I, I do, Joe. I got, I got, you know, 
Joe's about the funniest guy I've ever been around. And his wife is close, you know. I understand she's a comedian, and I just thought she was funny, but she's a real comedian. Um, but we had, we had fun last night. But, but, you know, Joe tells you all these jokes and these stories, and Joe, uh, Joe, I got one for you tonight. It has nothing to do with a sermon. I don't know why I'm using it, but I just, I just needed to use it, all right? It, it maybe has something to do with a sermon. It's a letter. I want to read to you. An old, old gentleman, it's not really a letter, but I, it's better if I read it. An old gentleman lived alone in New Jersey. He wanted to plant his annual tomato garden, but it was very difficult work, and the ground was hard. His only son, Vincent, used to help him, now is in prison. The old man wrote a letter to his son and described his predicament. Dear Vincent, I'm feeling pretty sad because it looks like I won't be able to plant my garden this year. I'm just getting too old to be digging up a garden plot. I know if you were here, my problems would be over. I know you would be happy to dig the plot for me like in the old days, love, Papa. A few days later, he received a letter from his son. <clears throat> Dear Papa, don't dig up the garden. That's where the bodies are buried, love, Vinny. At 4 a.m. the next morning, FBI agents and local police arrived and dug up the entire area without finding any bodies. They apologized to the old man and left. The same day, the old man received another letter from his son. Dear Papa, go ahead and plant the tomatoes now. That's the best I could do under the circumstances. <laughs> well, the circumstances is you just got me one more time. <laughs> just one more time. So good to be with you. If you have your Bible, no, don't turn your Bibles. Don't turn your Bibles. I'm not going to ask you to stand. Tonight is going to be very different than anything else I've, I've done with you. Um, here's where I'm going. And I told you it was short, but listen to this. I'm going to preach from 13 chapters in the book of Genesis. And I'm going to tell you a story that took place over 26 years. And I'm going to deal with the entire book of Jonah. Okay? Smile, folks. Smile. If I was going to put a title, it would be called, and, and John kind of, as I was praying, John, some, some of what John said kind of clicked in me, and I want to kind of follow through on some of the stuff he said. The title is called Divine Coincidences. Divine Coincidences. Starting with Genesis 37. You don't need to follow because you won't be able to. I'm going too fast. In chapter 37, verse 5, you remember the story. It's about Joseph. And you remember how his brothers hated him, verse 5 says. Verse 11 says they were jealous of him. I'd be jealous too. You remember that story? Coat of many colors. You know, the father didn't give the other boys, but he gave this one. They didn't like him at all. And you remember he had dreams about his brothers. And the dreams were, several dreams, that they were going to bow down to him. You know, he, he didn't read Norman Vincent Peale. You know, I mean, he just, he, you know, just how to make friends and all that kind of stuff. You know, he, he just... He just didn't do that. Verse 19 says, oh, by the way, the father, um, uh, Jacob, sends, sends the boys out to check on the sheep, sends Joseph out to check on the sheep. And so the Scripture says that when he's coming, uh, verse 19 says, they say, here comes that dreamer. I mean, they're not happy. They're upset with this dude. They don't like him at all. In fact, they, verse 20 says they wanted to kill him. Reuben, the older brother, says, no, let's don't kill him. Let's throw him in a pit or a cistern. And, and so that's what they decided to do. And Reuben was going to come back later and rescue him. <clears throat> so they got him and they threw him in the pit. <clears throat> now, it just so happened, hear my words, it just so happened that they decided they would sell him into slavery because it just so happens that a caravan comes by. And, and, and they're going to sell him into slavery. This caravan, caravan was bound for Egypt. And so it just so happened that they sold him to the caravan on the way to Egypt. It just so happens that when they got to Egypt, Potiphar, one of Pharaoh's officials, decided he would buy Joseph. He looked strong and could do some things, and so he sold him. 
chapter 39, verse 2 said, the Lord was with Joseph, listen carefully this phrase, the Lord was with Joseph and he prospered. What? Are you with me? He gets thrown into a, into a, a well, a cistern, a pit, and it just so happens that he gets on a caravan going to Egypt, just so happens he's sold as a slave, and the Scripture says the Lord was with him, and he prospered. Chapter 39, verse 2 says the Lord was judged, he prospered, and then he was put in a household where he would be a slave. 39.6 says Joseph was well-built and handsome. That's important to the story, of course. You remember the story. Potiphar's wife took a looking at him, kind of liked him. In fact, she, she, wanted to, she wanted to have sex with him. And she, Joseph says, let me, says 39 verse 9 says, Joseph says, how could I sin against God? Boy, that's a sermon right there we can jump out on. All sin is against God. He wouldn't have relationship with her. And so he says, how can I sin against God? And then you remember he runs out of the house. She grabs his cloak. She screams. The guards come in. She said, he tried to rape me. Joseph didn't. But when Potiphar comes home, he gets thrown into prison. Chapter 39, verse 21, the Scripture says, the Lord was with Joseph. The Lord's with Joseph. He's thrown into prison for something he didn't do, and the Scripture says the Lord is with Joseph, 39, 21. Now, it just so happens, it just so happens that Joseph finds favor with the warden of the prison. And because he finds favor with him, he puts him in a cell block that he's in charge of. Verse 23 says, the Lord is with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. Whoa, success in prison? The Lord found favor and gives him success? Chapter 40, it just so happens that in that same cell block, Pharaoh's cupbearer and baker Offended, had, who had offended their master were thrown into there. And so there, here they are, Pharaoh's cupbearer and baker, they're in the cell block that Joseph's in charge of. It just so happened that Joseph was in charge. And it just so happens that they have a dream, remember? They had this dream. They couldn't understand it. And so they go to Joseph and say, Joseph, is there any way you can interpret these dreams? He says, I can't, but God can. And he interprets the dreams. You remember, the, the interpretation was that the cupbearer was going to be restored to service with Pharaoh. The baker was not as lucky. His head was going to roll. And so when, when the cupbearer heads back to Pharaoh, Joseph says, remember me. I'm the one that interprets dream. You're going back. Remember me. I'm still in prison. Two years pass. And guess what happened to the baker or the cupbearer? He forgot. He forgot Joseph. Had no thought of him. And then all of a sudden, two years later, it just so happens that Pharaoh has a dream. He called in the magicians, the soothsayers, the wise men. Nobody could interpret it. And the cupbearer says, oh, yeah, yeah, there's this Jewish kid back where I was in prison. The baker and I had dreams. He interpreted them, and they came true. So Pharaoh says, bring Joseph to me. And he says, can you interpret my dreams? Joseph says, I can't, but God can. And you remember what the dream was, that there would be seven years of plenty and seven years of famine? Chapter 41, verse 38, Pharaoh says, can we find a man like this, Joseph, can we find a man like this, one in whom is the Spirit of God? Pharaoh, Pharaoh recognizes the Spirit of God in Joseph. 
Now, one thing you need to realize that you probably don't realize is that when Joseph was thrown into the pit, he was 17 years old. He was a teenager thrown into a pit. Now, he's age 30. That's a long time. And God is with Joseph all along the way, the whole way. And you know the story. It goes on. It gets better. You, you remember the seven years of plenty came, and, and Joseph was in charge. He would ride down in the chariot, had a signet ring on. People would bow down to him. He was second in charge of the whole country. And he was in charge of, of the grain bins and getting all the grain and getting ready for the famine. And they trusted Can you imagine they trusted him for this? And they did. And so he filled up the grain bins. And, and when the famine came, they had some. But the old country where Joseph had come, by, come from, they didn't have any grain. And so Jacob sends his son, all but the young one, to get grain. I'll just make it very short at this point. They come. Joseph is there. He's in charge. They come and appear before Joseph and ask for grain. He recognizes them. They don't recognize him. And there's some other things. There's back and forth. You know, he sends the boys back and to get the young boy, the youngest one to bring back, put the silver cup, all that stuff, and he comes back. They still don't recognize him. But they know they're in trouble because their money that they gave is back in their bags, and especially the silver cup that was Pharaoh's was put in the bag. They know they're in real trouble. And they brought their only, the youngest son, and their daddy said, no, no, no. And they said, yes, 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 the only way we can do it. Now, I don't know about you, but if I'd have sold my brother, I don't have a brother. If I'd have sold my sister, which I would have liked to have done many times, if I would have sold my sister into slavery and then she appears there over me and Joseph lets them know who he is, they are scared to death. There are just two verses and I'll finish this part. When the brothers come and they bow down, Joseph says this, scared as they are, 45.5 says, do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here. Listen to this. Because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. They come back again, chapter 50, verse 20. He says this. By the way, he is so broken over them that he has to go and just weep and weep and weep and goes into another room and comes back. He says this finally, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. Here's the story I want to share with you. Happened a good many years ago now. I was pastor at First United Methodist Church in Monroe, Georgia. That's the last full-time pastor that I had. I was... Uh, had prepared a sermon to preach on Sunday morning that particular day. Now, I need to tell you, it's important to the story, that that was a brand new sermon. You know why some preachers move so much? Repeat. Repeat. Have I ever repeated a sermon? You better believe I have. But it's important for this story for you to know, this was a brand new sermon. I had never preached it in my life. The title for the sermon was The Blood of Jesus. And I'm getting ready, I get up in the pulpit to preach this sermon. Now I need to say this, First Church Monroe is a beautiful colonial structure with the columns and all, just a gorgeous church, a long aisle. Brides came to that church because it was such a long aisle. Beautiful place. And I'm getting ready to preach. and. The sermon evolved pretty much, I, it was scriptural, you know, I used plenty of scripture, but evolved around a particular illustration, a true illustration. <laughs> true. It was true, Joe. A true illustration, something that happened in my life. And here's the illustration. Let me tell you the illustration. I'll move on with the sermon. The illustration was that when I was about 17 or 18 years old, I was a junior or senior, I can't remember which, I... Um, we had, we had close friends named the Forkners. 
And Ms. Forkner and her child, baby child, this is before car seats, were driving down a road in DeKalb County, Decatur, Georgia, where, we, where I grew up, driving down a road, and they came up over a hill, four-lane road, came up over a hill, and a DeKalb County garbage truck, you know, the big garbage trucks, you know, the, the big ones, was stopped in the middle of the road talking to his supervisor on the other side of the road who was stopped. She came up over the hill, had no time to even apply the brakes before she hit the back of that truck going 50 or 60 miles an hour. It killed the mother instantly. Threw the baby out the windshield, glass and all, onto the street. Uh, it was a it was an emotional, terribly emotional time for us, my family. We were so close to them. And I remember I was praying and praying and praying for this little baby and praying for this baby. And I remember going to my mother and saying, Mom, I got to do something else. She said, prayer is what she needs. I said, I know, but I'm praying, but there's got to be something else I can do. And all of a sudden, there was a call for blood. And I said, I can do that. I'm old enough. She said, yeah, but I don't think you weigh enough. Folks, when I was 16 years old, I weighed 87 pounds. I was 4'11", and then I grew up real big and tall. But, um, you know, you got to weigh so much, I can't remember how much you weigh. And I remember, I said, I'm going down to the Cab General Hospital, and, I, and I'm going to drive down there, and I'm going to give blood, and I'm going to make them let me give blood. And I drove down there, and I prayed all the way down there, and I, I don't know if I put rocks in my shoes or, or pockets or what, but somehow I weighed enough. And I gave blood for this little baby. Her name was Joy. I gave blood for this baby. And, and you can figure out the sermon. I'm talking about the blood of Jesus. And I was saying that, that I gave blood so my blood could go into her body so that she could live. She could not live unless she had more blood. And I gave blood. And so, of course, that comes back to Calvary. And, and Jesus gave his blood he died, gave blood, so that we might have life, abundant life and everlasting life. And that was the illustration. Very emotional. And so I'm getting, I'm in this, you know, the, the church went so far back. The sanctuary went so far back, it's hard to see way back in the back. But I'm, it was a center aisle. And so I'm preaching away, and I'm just getting ready to get to the illustration in the sermon. And I just happened to glance out there, and I saw two people, three people, seated on the aisle, and I almost lost it. I, I, I thought I was going to have to sit down. One of those three was my dad. My dad lived in Helen, Georgia, and he didn't come very often down to hear me preach, hardly ever. And that, that was kind of unusual, but he was there. But what was really weird, what really was wild, and what scared me was that the husband, the father, of the little girl I'm getting ready to use an illustration about was sitting on the aisle and he had remarried and his wife was there. Now you pastors realize I'm in a predicament now. This man had never heard me preach in my life. I had no reason to think he would be there. And my sermon kind of depends on this illustration and I, I, I mean, I'm thinking about this as I'm trying to preach at the same time, and I'm thinking, do I say, stop, time out, let me go ask permission? No. Or do I just go right on through and ask forgiveness and hope it doesn't affect him too much? So that's the ladder I took, and I decided to use the story. I finished the sermon, and we prayed with some people at the altar, and, and I went, went out to shake hands with people as they were leaving, and my dad came and I hugged him, and and Bill and his wife came out, and I said, Bill, I'm so sorry. I, I apologize. I'm, I'm so sorry for using the illustration about joy. Joy had lived. And I said, um, he said, no, 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 don't apologize. Thank you. That, that was, thank you for using that. It was special. And I said, well, how's she doing? Now, this had been 26 years, folks. 26 years. I said, how's she doing? And I could see tears just coming into his eyes. And he said, well, I need to talk with you. Are you going to be in your office in the morning, Monday morning? And I said, sure. 
I said, can it wait till then? He said, oh, yeah, yeah. I said, well, you know, Helen's way up there. You got a long drive. He said, no, no. What time do you get there? I said, about 8.30. He said, I'll be there before that. I'll be waiting on you. It's okay. So Monday morning, I, I walked in, and Bill and his wife were there, and I told my secretary, you know where I'll be. I'll be in here. Don't interrupt us. We sat down. I said, well, tell me what's going on. Tell me about Joy. Is she okay? He said, well, physically, she's okay. Emotionally and spiritually, she's as lost as she can be. She's a wreck. He said, Tom, two weeks ago, she slipped both wrists, tried to commit suicide. She had been living with a guy. He left. And her life is just a wreck. I said, oh, I'm so sorry. I wish I could talk to her. I said, what is she doing? Does she have a job? Oh, yeah, she's got a good job. I said, what does she do? She said she's the assistant park ranger at a Georgia State Park. I said, really? He said, yep. I said, where? <laughs> he said, Indian Springs State Park. I said, you are, you're kidding me, aren't you? He said, no. Why? I said, do you know where I'm going to be the youth evangelist in 10 days? I'm going, to be the Indian, I'm going to be the youth evangelist at Indian Springs Holiness Camp Meeting, which is two miles from Indian Springs State Park. I said, you think she'd talk to me? He said, I'm sure she would. Let me call her. He called her up and said, I know you don't know this guy. It's been a long time, but he just, he, she said, yeah, that'd be fine. Folks, I prayed for 10 days as hard as I've ever prayed before because I knew, I knew that the stakes were really high. So when I got there, 10 days later, I threw my stuff in the youth place and where the youth evangelist was staying, and, and I jumped back in the car, and I drove down the road just a piece and walked, went into the state park, found the office, and I asked for Joy, and they said, she's the second door on the right. I went back there and knocked on the door. I said, Joy, it's Tom Atkins. I know you don't know me, but, you know, he said, my dad's talked about you before. We just hadn't had any contact. I said, I know. I said, I know you're busy right now, and, and I, I don't want to take up a lot of your time, but... But I tell you what, I'm, I start preaching this afternoon at the Youth Tabernacle at Indian Springs, right down the street. Yeah, I said, I know where it is, she said. I said, would you come? She said, yeah. Yeah, I'll come. I said, I said let me tell you about it. It's a holiness camp meeting. You probably ought to wear a dress. And, and uh, it's hot. It's under a tin roof. It's 4 o'clock in the afternoon. And, you know, but, but you know, it's just kind of, she said, no problem. She came. Sat on the second row. I normally don't preach a sermon to an individual, except that day. I preached as hard as I could preach on salvation. The love of Jesus comes and takes over our life, and, and God blesses us. And when we send a, you know, you know, you've heard me. A lot of kids came forward, and I prayed. The counselors came, and we prayed with the kids. And Joy sat there on the second row. So everybody left, and she waited, and I said, you got a few more minutes? She said, yeah. I said, Joy, I've talked to your dad. I, I know some of the things have been going on. I know you're having a hard time. And I said, Joy, you just need Jesus. Jesus loves you. He, he, you just need Jesus. She said, no, no, I've tried that stuff before, that religion stuff before. It just doesn't work for me. It just, it's just not right. I, I said, Joy. Honey, let me share something with you. See if you can comprehend this, Joy. It's, it's, it's not really hard. You, you look, think about this. And I'd figured I'd done some figuring before I came there. I said, Joy, last week, two weeks ago, I just so happened to decide to preach a sermon entitled The Blood of Jesus. Just so happened. And Joy, it just so happened that I figured it out. I've preached se on close to 1,700 sermons. <laughs> Counting just Sunday morning, it was 800 and something. Uh, enjoy. But it just so happened I'm preaching that sermon on that day. Enjoy. It just so happened I use an illustration that I have never used in my whole life. But just so happened on that Sunday, in that sermon, 
I'm going to use that illustration, and the illustration's about you. And Joy, stay with me, honey. Listen, it just so happens that that I used that sermon and that illustration on that day, and your dad, who has never come to any service that I've ever preached, just shows up. It just so happened, Joy. She's catching on right about now. I said your dad could have come the week before or the week after or 10 years before. Just so happens he comes that Sunday. And Joy, it gets better. It just so happens that I'm the youth evangelist at Indian Springs Holiness Camp Meeting, which I've never been before, never preached at Indian Springs. That was the first time I ever did it was to the youth. And it just so happens on, that I'm in that park. And Joy, you're two miles down the road. Now, Joy, you could be at any state park in the state of Georgia. You could go to Tougaloo, or you could go to Hartwell, or you could go to any state. But it just so happened, Joy, you're there, and I'm here, and, I, and on this year that I could preach preached any time, and you could have been gone, and Joy, do you honestly think that something like that, with all of those, all of those coincidences, just so happened, she started to cry. She said, no, I guess not. I said, Joy, you don't have to be real smart to know those things just don't happen. All of them, all of them at one time. It could not happen that way. She said, I know. She said, what do I need to do? I said, you need Jesus. We got down in the sawdust on our knees, and she accepted Jesus into her life. And then I thought, what am I going to do with this girl? I live a long way away. I can't disciple her. <laughs> You'll love this part. I've got two close friends. Wes Griffin started a ministry called ILI, International Leadership Institute. All over the world, all over the world, they, they, um, they train leaders, Africa, all over Europe, everywhere. In fact, I was with her. At Indian, she's the vice president of Indian Springs. His wife is, and, and she, uh, uh, she's in Africa right now. She's going to four countries in Africa over the next three weeks, sharing the gospel to help training leaders. And she probably is the best discipler of women I've ever known. In a million years, you'll never guess her name. <laughs> Joy. Just so happens? No way. Now, lastly, let me give you one more story. I mentioned to you before, Dr. Dennis Kinlaw has been my mentor forever, going to be with the Lord now. So I'm preaching the Wilmore Camp Meeting the next summer after, after Indian Springs. I'm preaching the Wilmore Camp Meeting, the worst place in the entire world for somebody that graduated from Asbury Seminary and Asbury University to preach because your professors are there. Scary. Well, one day Dr. Kenlow walks in and I'm preaching. After the service, we were talking and I said, Doc, I said, I, I, I got to have some counsel from you. There's something I don't understand. And he said, Well, let's get together. When are you going to do it? Did you have a, do you have a car? I said, No, I flew in and you know, I don't have a car. He said, Well, I'll pick you up tomorrow morning. That'd be okay? I said, Yeah. And he said, we'll go over to, he said, we're going over to Nicholasville to that wonderful restaurant for breakfast that has the golden arches, you know, on it. And I said, yeah, that'll be fine. So we went over there and got a Big Mac and some coffee, and I don't think I ate anything. I said, Doc, here's my story. And I told him the story of joy. I said, I don't understand that. I know I'm a Wesleyan. <laughs> I know these things just didn't happen. He said, no, they didn't. He said, let me tell you one real quick. He said, I'm, I'm just finishing a commentary on the book of Jonah. And he said, there's one word in the Hebrew that I've translated, and it's the same word all the way through. He said, let me give you the word. Here's the words. Jonah 1.4, God appointed a great wind. 1.17, God appointed a great fish. 4.6, God appointed a vine to give shade to Jonah. 4.7, God appointed a worm to eat the vine. 4.8, God appointed a scorching east wind. 
Now, say all that to say this. I'm at the end. Listen. If you think you are here tonight by accident, you are fooling yourself. If God can put all of that together, all of that, he certainly can get who he wants to be here tonight. I'm here, not by accident. You're here, not by accident. I'm preaching this sermon. When you're here, you're not. Some of you think, well, I, I came because my wife just bugged me enough, and so I came. No, that's not the reason you're here. I came because my kids were singing up here. No, that's not the reason you came. I came because I always come on Friday night. I haven't been here before, so I decided to be here. This No, no, you didn't decide. God has who he wants to be here tonight for a purpose, a divine appointment with him. Now, what, why are you here? I don't know. Let me give you some reasons, then we'll pray. Possible reasons. Some of you are hurting spiritually tonight. That's the reason you're here. Somebody here tonight has never responded to Christ. You've never asked him to forgive you of your sins. You've never asked him to come into your life. There's going to be somebody here that's that way. Somebody's here tonight because you did respond to Christ a year or two ago or whenever, and you've kind of fallen away. And things are not like they should be in your life, and you know that. He didn't move away from you, but you moved away from him. The invitation's for you. That's the reason you're here tonight. Somebody here tonight, there's a sin in your life right now that's eating your lunch. Satan's having a field day with you. And you need to be set free from guilt. You're here tonight to ask forgiveness and, and let Jesus just take the guilt away from you. You can't live with guilt. We weren't meant to live with guilt. You're here for that reason. Some of you have lost the fire. You don't have the urgency to share with anybody anymore. These are hard times, folks. These are the last days. The older I get, the more I realize it. It's time to stop piddling around. It's time to get excited. It's time to do, to go for it. Go for it. Go all the way for it. It's I surrender all, remember? All, totally. That's the reason you're here tonight. Some of you are here tonight because maybe you need physical healing. I carry oil with me wherever I go, friends. If you need physical healing, maybe that's the reason you're here tonight. Some of you need uh, emotional healing, whether it's for depression or anxiety, whatever it is, you're here tonight for that. You think God can't do that? Of course he can. Of course he can. Some of you are, are, have got habits in your life that's hurting you, it's hurting your family. You're in bondage. I know a, I know a chain breaker. <laughs> I know a bondage breaker. And he wants, it's his desire to set you free. Well, if it's an addiction of some kind, I've prayed with people already this week for that. If it's an addiction that you need, you can't live with that and still live with Christ. It, it won't work. Maybe somebody, God's calling you to missions. Maybe God's calling you into ministry. Maybe it's a young person God's calling. Maybe it's an older person. You feel a call upon your life for God to do something, and it's time to come and say, okay, okay. Don't be like me and fought a call to evangelism for 10 years because I was scared. Some of you need to come and let God take the fear away. I don't know why you're here, but I do know this. Every person is here tonight because God wants you to be here for a divine appointment with him. Now, whether you respond to that, it's up to you. But I know he's got you here for a reason. Let's bow our heads, please. Lord God, we, uh, we like to fool ourselves into thinking that you're not talking to me. And we know that's ludicrous because you're talking to all of us tonight and specifically you're talking to some people about specific things. It may be something I've not even mentioned, 
maybe you're concerned about your kids and, and, and you're afraid to share your faith with them or your grandchildren. I don't know what it is, but I do know God's speaking. We're getting close to the end of camp meeting, friends. Don't miss the opportunity if you know God's speaking to you, and some of you do right now. Don't miss the opportunity to come and say, I need to do business with God tonight. I want to be set free. I'm tired of wishy-washy Christianity. I want all that God's got for me. I come against the spirit of fear. Somebody here tonight is scared to death about what God wants you to do. You're scared to come forward. Talk to somebody this week said, I should have come already. Let's don't have any should-haves anymore. It's at the end of the week. Let's don't have any more should-haves. Let's just say, okay, God. Some of you think it's embarrassing to come down. What are other people going to think? What I say to you is, who cares what anybody thinks? This is kingdom stuff. This is the most important things in your life. Nobody's here but you. Let the pride go. So, Lord, we ask you tonight, would you give us courage tonight? We don't need much, just a little bit of courage to come and kneel and pray. I'm not going to embarrass you in any way. I promise you that. I won't ask you to stand up and give a testimony. That won't happen. In fact, if you want to be with alone with the Lord, that's fine. You come and be alone with the Lord. Nobody's going to come around you unless somebody specifically God tells them to. That might happen. So, Lord, we pray tonight that we will be obedient when you tell us to do something and we feel like you're telling us do not let us leave this tabernacle or even the outside the tabernacle without coming and doing business with you. So we thank you for, for your speaking to us tonight. Thank you that we're not here by accident. <laughs> we're here because you want us to be here. And we're going to thank you for it. In Jesus' name. I'm going to ask you to stand, please. As, uh, you're led in music. Some of you know God's speaking to you right now. Don't wait for the music. You come right this minute. Don't hesitate, please. Come right now. God's speaking. You come, please. You know his voice. speaking to some adults tonight. second verse. Adults, listen to me. Scripture says that they'll lead us. <laughs> and they're leading. They're, God's speaking to some adults tonight. This is not just a kid's thing. It's for you too. Don't miss the opportunity. You may not hear God as clear anytime tonight. Some of you know God's speaking to you. Some of you know you need to be here. I'm not going to interrupt you anymore. You come as God. Some of the counselors want to come and pray with these kids. That's fine, too. You come on down. Let's come. Why should we tarry? Why should we tarry when Jesus is pleading? There's room over here at this. If there's no room, you sit on the front pew. Why should we linger and 
heed not his mercies, mercies for you and for me. Unless God directs otherwise. Time is now fleeting. The moments are passing. Passing for you and for me. Shadows are gathering. Death's night is coming. to close this and I'm not really going to close it uh, here's what I want to do I'd like every eye closed and every head bowed please God's speaking to some more people tonight and for some reason it's just hard for you to come that's okay but I want to pray for those who are saying I need to be there I, God's dealing with me about something and if God's dealing with you and you would like prayer for whatever he's dealing with you about and you know it's important, I'm going to ask you, as everybody's eyes are closed, this is so it won't embarrass you in any way, I want you to say, Tom, I'd like you to pray for me, not individually, but I'm going to pray as a group. I'd like you to remember me in prayer tonight because I'm struggling with something <clears throat> and I need, to, I need an answer. I, I need God to do something in my life. And, I want you to pray, Tom, that, that something will happen in my life <clears throat> tonight or tomorrow or Sunday, hopefully tonight. If that's you, I just want your eyes, we did this the other night, I think, I just want your eyes to meet mine, raise your head and let your eyes meet mine if you're back here, and, uh, and then put your head back down. Make sure I see you, okay? I'll start over here, okay? Okay, okay, see a bunch of kids, okay? Gotcha. In the back. Okay. All right. All right. I'll come back around. Bunch of folks. Okay. Thank you for putting your hand up. Yep. Gotcha. 
Anybody else? Okay, in the back. Got you guys. Okay, young lady. Got you. Father, we just we thank you that um, thank you that you allow us to approach the throne, <laughs> the throne of a holy God who loves us so much and wants the best for us. And that best is only when we're in your will, when we've surrendered to you and we allow you to take over. And so I pray for that tonight, for those who are praying around the altar. And for those whose eyes met mine, if you lifted up your head, God knows that. I pray for you. I pray, God, that tonight, either after the benediction is pronounced or, or um, in the morning or sometime during the day or tomorrow night or in the morning when preaching, Joe's preaching, and, or I'm preaching in the morning, Joe's in the after, evening, whatever it is, Lord, I pray that, I pray that somehow you're going to break through to us and our lives will be totally, completely changed. We're tired. I, I pray for release. There, there are people here tonight who are in bondage and need to be released from that bondage. I pray that you would release from guilt. We can't live with that. I thank you. These, these, one thing, Lord, I like about young people, they don't just come pray and leave. They get it done. They stay until it's done. So, Lord, I pray that we will stay until it's done. If we have to stay 20, 30 minutes, an hour, whatever it is, we'll stay until we're satisfied. If you guys need somebody to pray with you when I, when I say amen, if you'll just raise your hand, some of us will come pray with you. Need some probably some uh, lady counselors, if you'll come down and help us. Um, see some of you. And um, Father, we, we just thank you. We praise you. We love you. You're, you're so good to us. And Lord, we, we know right now that it's your will for us to be in your will. And Lord, I just pray right now in the name of Jesus that you'll do miracles tonight. You'll do what needs to be done tonight. And that if other folks need to do it tonight or tomorrow, Lord, you'll, you'll stay with them. You're, you're not going to let them go. And we're going to thank you for that and praise you for it. And thank you as we continue to pray around this altar. I'd ask that Folks, if you want to visit, don't visit down here. Visit out there somewhere. And let's leave this as a sacred place where we're meeting God. So leave this place, not from the power of the Spirit, but with the power of the Spirit who takes over our lives and changes us and makes us to be like you. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen.